Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 13. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. Our guest for today's episode is one of the VFX supervisors for Black Panther, Todd Perry. But first, let's get into some industry news. Disney Marvel's Black Panther has grossed a stunning $501.1 million in North America in only 17 days and is now the second highest grossing Marvel movie of all time at the domestic box office. MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe has projected that the company will double its current 2 million subscriber base before 2019. At a keynote Q&A at Winston Baker's Entertainment Finance Forum in Los Angeles, Lowe said, We'll be over 5 million paid subscribers by the end of the year and buying roughly 20% of all movie tickets within the U.S. Mark Wahlberg's sci-fi action movie The Six Billion Dollar Man has been given an early summer release date of May 31, 2019. The film is based on the sci-fi television series The Six Million Dollar Man about a former astronaut, Colonel Steve Austin. Austin's character had superhuman strength due to bionic implants and was employed as a secret agent. Big news for fans of the upcoming remake of The Crow featuring Jason Momoa in the title role. The film has been given an official release date of October 11, 2019. The film reboot will be setting out to be a more faithful adaptation of James O'Barr's original 1989 comic book of the same name. Jordan Peele's horror comedy Get Out won Best Picture and Best Director at the Film Independent Spirit Awards. In an excerpt from Peel's speech, he said, It's clear we are in the beginning of a renaissance right now, where stories from the outsider, stories from the people in this room, the same stories that independent filmmakers have been telling for years, are being honored and recognized and celebrated. In other award news, the Emoji Movie was the big winner at the 38th Annual Golden Raspberry Awards, taking Worst Picture of 2017. Lastly, the 90th Academy Awards took place this past Sunday, and here were some of the big winners. Best Animated Short Film went to Glenn Keane and Kobe Bryant's Dear Basketball. Best Animated Feature Film went to Coco. Best Visual Effects went to John Nelson, Gerd Nefser, Paul Lambert, and Richard R. Hoover for Blade Runner 2049. Film Editing went to Lee Smith for Dunkirk. Best Original Screenplay went to Jordan Peele for Get Out. Best Cinematography was awarded to Roger A. Deakins for Blade Runner 2049. Best Director went to Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water. Actor in a Leading Role went to Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. Best Actress in a Leading Role went to Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And Best Picture went to The Shape of Water. In summary, I am beyond words excited for Guillermo del Toro and the cast and crew for The Shape of Water. The fact that this romantic monster's tale has such a great showing at the Academy Awards has me smiling ear to ear. That being said, these were just some of the winners for the 90th Academy Awards. For a full list, be sure to check out the episode description at filmrevere.com. Now on to the trailer drops. The following films or television shows released trailers this past week and are available to see now. Michael Shannon and Michael B. Jordan's new HBO film Fahrenheit 451, Diane Keaton and Jane Fonda's comedy movie Book Club, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Silicon Valley Season 5's official trailer, and rounding out the list, Krypton's official trailer 2. 
As always, links to all trailers mentioned can be found in the episode description at filmrevere.com. Coming up next, I have an interview with Todd Perry. Todd is an 18-year veteran in the film industry specializing in visual effects. He was one of the CG supervisors for Avengers Age of Ultron and Doctor Strange. And more recently, Todd was one of the VFX supervisors for Black Panther. So please stay tuned as we will now be taking a quick commercial break. Alright guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slam and deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial and, more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support, and thank you, listeners. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome to the Film Reviewer Podcast, Todd. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to start our talk with you telling the listeners a bit about your background in the film industry. Technically, I started in in the 90s, but I was making films and animation and storyboards and concept drawings and stuff ever since I was a kid because I was inspired. I'm old enough to be inspired by Star Wars when it first came out. Yeah. Um, so in 77, that that really was the the crux of of everything that I did after that. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to be part of this thing. And so I went through different phases as I was growing up. So either drawing or, um, and I loved animation anyway, but drawing animation, um, model making, um, photography, just it, prosthetic makeup. I went through a little phase of, oh, we're going to make monster movies. And uh, and that I never really was was that capable of of doing volume stuff like sculpting and and things like that. I was I was much better at, at drawing and the two D things. And then as uh, I was going through high school, <clears throat> my dad was a was a bit of a, a techno geek, um, and so I always had computers around and video cameras and, and things like that. So when he brought home a Macintosh in, in 1984, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, you can you can do this on the computer? Right, I can, like, whole turn. new world. Yeah, exactly. So I was I was right there when the when the art and the technology were were kind of coming together. And that kind of set me off on my path. What are some of the changes that you've seen in the industry since then? I mean, you're starting at pretty much the beginning of post-production as far as on a, on a box and right. to now. The scope of, of work that we're now doing, um, it's really kind of mind-boggling how much work <laughs> we do in the amount of time that we have to do it. And if you look at Jurassic Park – um, everyone, it, it and they're not wrong in saying that this is a, a keystone or, or 
um, a baseline yeah. for how digital effects can be effective. And they're like, this is the 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 birth of the CG age and, <laughs> and so forth. And it is, but there's only 72 digital shots in the movie. Exactly. And and they had months and months and months to, to if not years, to to finesse these things and work on them. Mm-hmm. And and now we have um, shows like uh, like Deep Water Horizon, yeah, which had had astounding effects in it, and they did it in like four or five months, and it's and it's hundreds and hundreds of photorealistic shots, and um, and we never seem to to hit that point where, where something utterly fails. So, uh, so we just keep, keep on getting pushed. So a show like black Panther does 20, somewhere between 2,400 and 2,500 visual effect shots. My God. That were turned around, um, in less than, than a year. Uh, We're just hitting this. Uh, I don't know when that point is. I don't know when we, (laughs) we hit that, that, that tipping critical point, point yeah. where where a movie does not release. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, like I've worked on projects that have been pushed back, but even still, they were still finished in yeah. the time that they needed. It's just for whatever reason, the studio wanted to release it at a later date instead of have it come out that time. But it wasn't anything to do with the visual effects not being done. So right. I'm curious too, especially you talk about Black Panther. I can't believe... 2400 to 2500 i i know the jungle book itself had about the same and that entire film for the most part was, was completely cheap. cg and yeah. yet you look at black panther you don't think completely cg so that's kind of mind-blowing i did not know that yeah it's i don't know which shots weren't touched by visual effects in in wow. some way and it could and it could be as minor as as we need to you know remove a, a pimple from somebody's head True. um all the way up to completely cg shots so um but they're still considered visual effect shots yeah no definitely so as far as your film career goes you've worked on some impressive titles over the years including the kite runner the mist uh the 2000s version of the mist uh, yes. 2012 and resident evil retribution however i would love to talk about your work with the marvel cinematic universe mainly avengers age of ultron uh and doctor strange and then obviously your more recent work with black panther what right. was going through your mind when you heard that you were going to be the CG supervisor for Avengers Age of Ultron? I thought it was a good a good step up and I wasn't yeah. the CG supervisor on it. I was I was more like an ancillary CG supervisor as a okay. support as a support supervisor for um who was already there and that was uh Chad Weeb was VFX supervisor, Jeff Ringasinghe was DFX supervisor and really the scope had grown on the show and they had to, um, they brought in method London. Okay. And so they needed a CG supervisor that could shepherd all those shots through the Vancouver pipeline. So they needed another set of eyes basically to uh, oversee another um, set of shots. And so I I was excited to to do Mm -hmm. it. It was kind of a short stint, but um, it meant that I could start a relationship with Method. Um, I could get uh, a Marvel show on my reel and I I could get experience um, with, with what that pipeline looks like. 
And so, uh, and it just builds relationships every time you go to a new place. Oh, definitely. And are, and, and are on a new new shot. So, uh, I think that the the work was good. I think that that we pushed ourselves. I think I pushed myself in in uh, getting getting those shots through. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to do a little bit of design work and and lighting design and things like that as well. Um, which was uh, which was a good experience. Yeah. What were some of the more challenging sequences that your team had when you did get brought onto the project? Well, we had a lot of the sub-Ultrons uh, okay. shots. And so there's a lot of the, that end kind of fight sequence um, where uh, where there's you know there's just hundreds of robots running around yeah <laughs> and CG CG Iron Man and and um and then those those shots ultimately became shared shots because uh, there's one shot in there where they're fighting the 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 robots in this rotunda right mm-hmm. where and there's this crazy 360 degree shot where you're just seeing everybody fighting yep. different aspects of it but you have us which are doing the robots and then you have um plate work and and so forth so you have black widow and captain uh captain america yeah then we had uh, um an iron man that was flying through but then you also had Vision and and Hulk and Vision and Hulk are are ILM yeah oh characters my gosh. yeah and so it's kind of like oh well who's who's actually delivering this shot <laughs> <laughs> so there's a logistical challenges there with with shared shots which we also ran into on on Black Panther where you have elements coming from different facilities and and trying to maintain the communication between the facilities and maintain those assets. Because yeah. the camera, the cameras have to work together. Your world space has to work together. Um, method is in Canada, so that's the metric system. ILM oh is gosh. in. Yeah, that's true too. That's not something you think about. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and so shots like that were uh, were a challenge. I know that the design of of Wanda's uh, Scarlet Witch's what's called the Wiggly Woo. Yeah. Um, her magic. Um, that is something that is a is a creative challenge because you get directives from Marvel and this always happens uh, but um, in my experience Marvel especially where you're like well it's kind of like this and then you start doing things and then they're like nah it's not like that it's so creatively you're trying to figure out something that is uh is tied to and grounded in in the comics, right? Because yeah. everything things have already been established. So, how do you translate that into something that's in three D space and it has to feel um, realistic? It has to feel like it's in the shot, and it can't feel like eighties um, optical uh, magic. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have different kinds of challenges, right? You have this logistical challenge of actually trying to put a shot together but then you have creative challenges where you're trying to find a look and you don't know what the look looks like and marvel doesn't know what the look looks like they just don't uh, everybody just knows that this is not the look yeah and so you have to keep on it so difficult yeah and it's not um it's not unheard of and and it's nobody's fault you're 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 trying to push 
you're you're trying to push creatively a, a, a look that nobody has ever seen before and that looks cool. And so you just do it over and over and over again until you find it. It's more of a um, uh, an exploratory experiment mm-hmm. than than anything. Wow. So shortly after Age of Ultron, you'd go on to be the CG supervisor once again on Doctor Strange. Having already been involved with one Marvel Studios film, were you excited to be placed on yet another? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then um, the VFX supervisor again was uh, was Chad Weeb, who was on Age of Ultron. So yeah. he he asked me to come back to do Doctor Strange, and it was the question was more like. Um, do you want to come back and do Doctor Strange, which was a yes, and then do you want to go to uh, to Nepal? And that was a yes yeah. <laughs> as well. Uh, that one was exciting because I knew that just based on the comic alone um, that we were going to be doing some wacky stuff. Oh, yeah. And that was going to push us creatively and technologically and um, – and it was more of a journey. We, we weren't doing things that, that we had done before. So it was mm. going to be uh, extremely challenging, again, to figure out what this stuff is going to look like and how it's going to behave. And, and um, so that was, uh, that was very exciting. And it was also very exciting to, to be the CG supervisor, at least for, for Method on that show. Yeah, no, it's definitely different. You know, it's a lot longer of a time that you're on the project this time too. Um, you know, and again, Dr. Strange, in my opinion was, I mean, obviously the stuff we talked about with age of Ultron being, you know, incredibly complex with some of the shots that you had to me, Dr. Strange was also, I think more complicated in the sense of what you had touched on that, you really were kind of just breaking new ground here. There was a lot of stuff that hadn't been done. And again, I feel like that's a trend with a lot of these films where how can we create something that hasn't been seen before? And how do we one-up ourselves yet again? Um, And these are coming out yearly. So I guess my question would be, what are some of the challenges or hurdles your team face in completing shots for Doctor Strange? One of them was the, uh, the design of the Eldritch magic. So the shields and and the um the magic that that the ancient one was conjuring and and so forth this kind of almost burning reality these these uh, uh almost like weld marks in yeah. in reality that formed these uh these patterns and again we couldn't have it be magical pixie dust type of stuff it had to have some kind of physicality to it and so um, our effects lead, Brian Coster, he was really crucial in, in designing those, those elements, uh, along with our, our conceptual um, team in the, in the digital map painting department. They kind of worked together in designing, okay, this is kind of what it'll look like. And then Ryan was, okay, this is how we're going to execute this in a way that we can replicate it in mm-hmm. every shot. So all of the renders, all of the AOVs within the renders, um, the idea was to remain consistent so that when it got to the compositing side, you could create a recipe for that. Yeah. Um, and that that could be repurposed throughout, the, throughout our sequences in the film. And fortunately for us that design was the one that that marvel liked the most and so we kind of bundled that up and packaged it and sent it to to the other facilities so that there could 
there there would be a match. There would be um, the, this is the the language that we're speaking. Uh, we also did the car crash, which had its own uh, its own problems oh, and yeah. and challenges. Uh, just basically replacing that that entire car and having it collapse or crumble yeah. in in slow motion um, is uh, was a challenge unto itself. Wow. Now, before we get to your work as the one of the visual effects supervisors on Black Panther, I'd love to focus on your film review work with philanthropy.com. Is that how you say that? Philanthropy? Philanthropy. Anthropy. Yeah, well, like- you know. It's like philanthropy, but it's oh my gosh. anthropy. Yeah, see, I'm making it more difficult. So your work with Phil, uh, Phil oh my gosh, now I'm having a moment, <laughs> filmanthropy.com. What inspired you to start writing film reviews? Uh, I don't remember when I first started doing it. I, I just kept on getting asked what my opinions on, on films were. And then it was probably on Facebook. I, I just would start posting stuff. Hey, I watched this movie. This is my impression of it. And then um, I got a little bit more formal with it and put it into into this blog format. And um, I haven't really had time to to keep it up. It's a lot of work to to put all of that up. But most of my reviews now I, I just put up in in Facebook. Mm-hmm. And at some point when I have time, I can take all of those and migrate it over to, to Filmanthropy. But um, uh, I just I, – I love dissecting story stuff and, and how people put films together. And I love figuring out why things work and why things don't work. Uh, and um, I've been asked sometimes why I watch uh, crappy movies as as well as as really good movies, and I my answer is because I want to know why things fail as much as I want to know why they succeed. And uh, and that's just the filmmaker in me. I, I mm. just love to know how things work. And so when I watch films, um, I do so for the enjoyment of them, but it's also an analytical process for me. Yeah, uh, and so I started just writing that stuff down, and then people would start saying, "Ah, I love your reviews," and uh, as as you probably have have run into just doing podcasting and 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 so forth, there's there seems to be a lot more people out there who who appreciate what you do than is actually expressed on on social media. Oh yeah. So I just keep on on doing it for for myself, and if if people enjoy what I have to say, then then uh, I think it's helping helping people understand that that film is is not just something that uh, that is there to entertain you. It's it it teaches you stuff, and it, it exposes you things that to things that um, you may not have have known before. Uh, there's there's a lot of impact in it, and. And I, I'm really, really interested in how it works to to move people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love just hearing you talk about it. it. Makes me definitely more inclined to read more reviews from you. Because I mean, like, I think that's a big thing too, right? It's like it's you're reading someone's review, but I think in hearing this, like we are now on the show, the reasons why you're doing it and what really you know you're taking away from it, I think it adds a lot more to the review itself. Because now you're adding that extra level to the review as you're reading it. Before we get off that topic, what are some of the latest reviews that have been published that people can check out? 
Uh, well, on Facebook, which I've been spending all morning migrating to uh, Instagram, because I guess Instagram is the is the new thing. I'm not on Snapchat. I don't even know why that works. Yeah, no. Or, or, uh, Instagram's a good push. <laughs> Snapchat, even I don't understand that fully. Yeah, why would I put up something that's going to be gone? Yeah, short, shortly, <laughs> unless I'm doing something illegal. Um, so uh, the latest string of string out of of reviews is that as of today um i will have watched all of the oscar nominated movies okay um not like best picture nominated movies but all of anyone who has a nomination oh wow um which includes like marshall which has best song <laughs> and that's about and that's it uh, but, um, I've gone through and, and I've put up, uh, you know, short reviews of, of these things, um, as, as well as a little analysis of, of why I think it, it will win or why it won't win, um, for, for the Oscars. Now I, I have no idea, but just my opinion on, on both politically speaking, as well as just from a filmmaking yeah standpoint so i have a whole run of that on on facebook right now and um since that's what i've been watching for the past past two months those are the the reviews i've been i've been putting up i haven't put up a review of black panther i think that's that's just <laughs> I, I don't i don't need to do that <laughs> yeah that's kind of like me we it, typically i don't talk about films that i've worked on on the podcast because number one if they haven't come out i'm worried about ndas if they have come out i'm still worried about ndas let's let's not get ourselves there yeah. um but yeah and then obviously there's that bias it's like how can you not really be too biased and separate yourself when you've right. worked on it um but getting back to some of your work here I, i'd love to start talking about black panther Sure, uh, sure. Towards the end of the show here, I'd love to know how did you come to be one of the VFX supervisors for the film. Um, that was uh, it's it, Machiavellian isn't is too negative of a term for it, but there, <laughs> it was intentional. There was an intent behind it. Okay, um, and it was mainly for one. I had worked with Jeff Bauman on Doctor Strange, who is mm -hmm. the second unit visual effects supervisor. And I caught wind when we were on set for Strange that he's he had been promoted to uh, to work on Black Panther. Yeah. And so already, I, I I like Jeff. I think we work well together. I think we have same film sensibilities um, and aesthetic sensibilities. So it was a good fit. Um, and then to for him to be working on Black Panther. Uh, Myself as as well, I think as the rest of the universe, felt that Black Panther was probably the best part of of Captain America's Civil War, mm -hmm. and there was just everybody just lost their minds when Black Panther showed up. Yeah, and, and so it's like, okay, well, this is going to be this is going to be a thing, um, and so I I kind of want to jump on board with this. And so when, after Strange wrapped up, uh, and I was asked if if I wanted to jump onto any other shows, it, it was no, I don't want that show. I don't want that show. Um, but what I do want is I, I want to be a visual effects supervisor on on Black Panther. <laughs> and uh, and they said, but we haven't we haven't been awarded Black Panther yet. And I said, yeah, I know, but we will. Oh my gosh, love it, love it. And. and 
and so when and that was just based off of the fact that we had delivered Doctor Strange in such a strong form. Oh, yeah. That it was just going to come back to it. We're just going to get more Marvel stuff as long mm-hmm. as we keep delivering this way. So um, uh, when it did come around and they said, oh, how would you like to supervise on, on Black Panther? It's like, oh, you mean the one that I, yeah. that I asked you? I mean, about? I'm not telling you I told you so, but <laughs> right. I did tell you so. And yes, I will take the job. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but the the scope of it was so so large and also I was getting promoted from a CG supervisor to a VFX supervisor mm-hmm. that um, I was then paired with uh, another visual effects supervisor Andy Brown who's um, a veteran from from Animal Logic and okay. so we we worked on the show together um, in in different capacities I mean we had the show separated into two teams essentially anyway yeah um, or at least that was the plan and so um we could focus on on different areas and different aspects of it. Uh, Andy comes from an art direction background, so his eye was really on on composition and color and mm-hmm. and design. And because I was coming from a CG background, my side was more um, was more logistical uh, and getting things done and getting things through the pipeline and, yeah. and, and troubleshooting. And so uh, his was more, okay, what are we going to do? And mine was more, how are we going to do it? And so we could balance those uh, uh, those two out. And I, th- I think our, our skill sets complemented each other quite well. Um, and then Andy Andy came on a, a little bit later, a few months later. So um, I was the one that was going on set and, and supervising our sequences with... Okay. Uh, with Jeff, and then we also had uh, Daryl Sachek, who's the animation supervisor. So both of us were were out there on set, and again dividing what we were looking at. So um, Daryl was looking at it from an animation standpoint because yeah. we we're going to be we we're going to be putting rhinos in, and we we're going to be putting <laughs> people jumping around and and fighting and and so forth. So he had his uh, his focus was was on those kinds of problems. And mine was, okay, the blue screens aren't covering up the Jabari guys and their fur is white against this white sky. So let's, yeah. can, we, can we move this blue screen over? Uh, those, those types of, uh, of problems. Oh, my gosh. Well, and having heard about your collaboration with Andy Brown, I'd love to know more about what it was like collaborating with the director, Ryan Coogler, as well as VFX supervisor uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Bauman. Uh, Je- working with Jeff is is great. He's super chill, super nice, super he's he's unflappable. Um, okay. And with with all of the chaos that's going around in both production and post production, uh, that's not a a bad quality to have. Yeah. And he had a, an amazing team uh, with him on set, uh, collecting all of the data and getting all the lidar scans, getting all the reference photography, getting all the HDRs, um, and. He had that team, and he built that team over the course of of years, being a second unit supervisor, mm-hmm. and then before that, coming from digital domain as as an integration guy, um, he was constantly going on set to gather data for the digital domain teams, and so he knows what what we need. Yeah, and, and he's not afraid to to argue or or fight that fight when things are start when you're starting to run out of time. You know, no, no, no. We need to take five minutes and take this and get this shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it. 
it's not a visual effect shot now, but it will probably be a visual effect shot sometime. Well, that's good to be so, able to anticipate that too. Yeah. Um, and so working with him was, was great and he is very collaborative. Uh, he would come to us and, and say things like, um, uh, Hey, we, we may want to change Wakabi's cape. Uh, later, we're wondering: Is it better to just have it not the right color, blue, or should we just have it white? And I, I was like, "No, definitely have a blue. We don't want a, a yeah. white, <laughs> a white cape that we have to color correct." Oh my god! So um, we, we were heading things off at the past like that, and it, and because we had multiple eyes on on particular problems. Uh, it wasn't all on Jeff. He he was very willing to to defer or at least um, ask us our opinion on what what is best for us to uh, when we start getting this stuff on on our end. Uh, Ryan was a little bit more inaccessible. He's the director. He has a, a gajillion questions going oh, yeah. through his his head, so um, he has to answer cinematography questions and performance questions and and. Um, uh, lighting question, uh, uh, costumes, um, and <laughs> all of these things coming at him. So, really, he was he was letting Jeff wrangle that kind of stuff yeah. because Ryan, his two previous movies are Fruitvale Station and Creed. They they have no visual effects in them, True. what whatsoever. And then Rachel Morrison, the DP, also had very little visual effects background so um they were leaning on on jeff and the and the crew to answer those kinds of, of questions to make sure gotcha. that they were doing things right and uh, make sure that they were covered so mm -hmm. like when questions come up like well this th these mannequins don't look very good and it's like oh no no we'll replace them oh you can do that <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I think i think we'll do a good job on on replacing this um wow. and so but it was critical later on as uh, as the show was ramping down and we, and we needed to have very specific questions answered, um, Ryan would get on uh, on the phone with us in CineSyncs, and so he'd be in a call with with Jeff and Victoria and Ryan and and Nate Moore is one of the execs on there, mm -hmm. and it it would usually be about a a very very important point like uh, the. The shot where where Black Panther and and Killmonger, Black Panther has tackled Killmonger and they're falling down the mine and there's yeah. this really long drop where they're just uh, trading punches and, oh, and yeah. so forth. And the animators um, were they they weren't clear on on what per purpose was for for these different beats. So mm. Ryan would get on the phone and he would explain, okay, we need to. Panther to be on top here. We never want him to feel out of control, um, or uh, or or being pushed around. Both of them are. It's a it's a one on one type of yeah. type of thing, and so we can't. And then there was like this this kind of panther swipe type of type mm -hmm. of thing. So those characters had different fighting styles. Killmonger, because of his CIA training and SEAL training, was much more of a. Um, uh, his his fighting style was more square. Yeah. Um, and then Panthers was more elegant. It was more of a uh, a tai chi a tai chi or a kung fu rather than a taekwondo type of thing. And we had to keep track of those types of fighting styles. Yeah. And so uh, 
but there was a, a moment where where uh, where Black Panther takes a swipe at, at, at Killmonger with in the, with a claw hand, but in the way that it was reading, it was feeling more like it was slapping him, okay. and and so we had to have this. We can't have that. That's mm-hmm. that that's too delicate. It needs to be you know a full full fist type of punch, mm-hmm. um, because uh, we can't we can't have them slapping each other <laughs> yeah no especially at this, at this point in the film you want it to <laughs> resonate and have that impact and slapping though it just doesn't seem to have it won't resonate as well i can definitely see what you're saying right exactly so it's like that or when uh black panther uh takes down the ship by throwing a spear at it or um it, these these critical moments where the beats have to be hit and a certain certain story points have to be hit and it was only Ryan who could who could impart that onto yeah. onto the animators. And it was also great because Ryan's has a um has an energy to him that's contagious. So when he gets on the phone, you can hear his passion mm-hmm. and and it kind of ignites it in you and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally yeah. on board with this. <laughs> I, we have four hours to do this, but we're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to turn this around. Oh, my gosh. So I guess, you know, one of my questions I have for you would be, what was probably one of the most complicated sequences that Method Studios had to do? From a logistical standpoint, again, you have this creative and logistical thing going on. Um, logistically, since we did most of the third act uh, battle stuff, yeah. uh, there's a lot of stuff going oh on God, in yeah. there and there was hundreds of hundreds of shots of hundreds of people um of which 30 of them were real so uh we had crowds and we had um mid-ground animation uh going on we had rhinos running through this scene we had dust we had ground interaction uh, the entire scene in the in the back was replaced so we built something like 3,600 square miles of Wakanda. Oh my gosh. To look out off into the distance. Um, And all of those had to not only come together on a per shot basis, but they had to come together in a sequence basis. Um, And managing that was, was a challenge because on set we were shooting on location. So we were outside and the lighting uh, conditions were changing every 15 minutes. So you had clouds and you had no clouds and you had bright sun and you had fog and, and then it was raining and then it was, uh, and we had to (laughs) figure out how to make, make it all feel coherent. Right. So, so it didn't bump. And so the audience always kind of knew where, where they were. So that was definitely, complicated to to wrangle um and then from an effect standpoint we had the two we had the two close-ups of the suit forming um on the mannequins and so there was a a lot of creative and and technical challenges for the suit formation stuff uh we also did when killmonger changed and um and when black panther changes in the cia black site yeah and then we had to pass those over to Luma because they had the Busan change. Um, and all of those were difficult because you have multiple things going on at once. You have the suit forming from the necklace, right? Um, which is the story point that you want to tell. 
but then the clothes are burning off at the same time that the suit is forming and you don't want to show skin. Yeah. And um, so how do you burn off underneath at the same time or how do you form underneath at the same time that you're burning off the clothes on the outside and still get all of that stuff? story to read how do you tell mm. that story and uh it, it took a while to to really hone that in uh, from a timing standpoint as well as 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 a uh, a creative standpoint from compositing and so forth so we had like lines from the suit would create subdermal patterns inside the skin so it would show where the suit was going to be forming too and then the clothes the burn marks on the clothes um would be based off of the patterns on the suit so you kind of got these etchings okay and on the clothes outside and that would be where the clothes cut and then the the clothes would fall off uh, around Mm -hmm. him so that would become then a cloth sim as as it falls off all while this suit is forming and all these little tiny triangles and stuff are f- following the design lines and, and uh, it was it was qu- quite complex. Um, you know, we touched on this earlier when you touched on how the audience reacted to Black Panther and Captain America Civil War. Yeah. I, I mean, what's your reaction now having the film released and break records? I mean, did you exp- I mean, you had to probably think that it was going to be big, but did you think it was going to be on this scale as no, far as no, popularity? No. Uh, no. And it's and it's so humbling um, to see what kind of, how this resonates with people. I knew I knew that it would have I knew that it would have an impact because uh, I had read the screenplay. I was watching it get shot. I knew what kind of themes were going to be. Th- uh, throughout the, the the story, yeah, because you you not only have African and African and American stories going on, but you have all of these incredibly strong women characters. Oh, yeah. in, in the show, and so there's there's really everything to <laughs> for for people to look up to, right, and inspire people, and so I knew that those were going to be part of it. Uh, and then after the first trailer came out, and, and then everybody just lost their shit. <laughs> uh, I just you you started to realize that this was going to be much bigger. Oh yeah. And then it kept on growing, and it kept on growing. And then after the the first weekend, the the world was just bananas. Yeah. When it was so funny, too, because the news kept covering it leading up, and I know even Variety had been constantly publishing, like, these are the new projections for its opening weekend, and it's going to be, like, over $100 million, and then they're like, it's going to be over $150 million, and then they're like, it's going to be over one hundred eighty. Like, it just didn't seem to stop. It just kept, like, growing. Yeah. And then ultimately had a massive opening weekend. So, yeah. And continues. There's there's a couple reasons. One, that, one is that it's just generally a good movie. Mm-hmm. Two, two is that it... Um, had a lot of anticipation three they placed it in black history month which was not an accident oh yeah um and then four you're opening it in february which january and february are historically not a time to release movies so there's no competition whatsoever uh so i'm not taking anything away from the movie itself because 
that did what it did, but because it was not competing for screens at all and not competing for eyeballs, you just had everyone going to see this movie. The perfect Uh, storm. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, all by design, I I can't imagine that it's anything otherwise. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem too. I mean, sometimes you just, you're going to end up going up against a different film, whether you want to or not. So in this case, it was, it worked out perfectly. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself working on other superhero films in the future, having had such a history as you had with Marvel? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I need to take a nap. Um, <laughs> Some respite, and, well deserved. And, right, and just rest for for a little while. Uh, and when I do do that, I come. Home, I live in Seattle, so um, I just come home and I work on my own stuff and. There's a, a number of places here in Seattle, commercial houses and design houses that that like to hire me as an artist and yeah. occasionally as a supervisor. Uh, but that keeps me busy and and afloat, and it allows me some some downtime mm-hmm. in bet- in between these these mammoth shows. But uh, yeah, I think I think that that method was fairly happy with with the results so they probably will have me have me back when i'm ready to come back oh yeah um but um i also have other plans too i want to be on set supervising and i want to be directing and and that type of thing so i have a another path that that ultimately all of this is is leading up to definitely um but i'm looking forward to the next phase of of marvel uh, stuff to see what they're going to come up with next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cap- Captain Marvel is coming up, but that was a little yeah. too soon for me to to jump on board. So we'll see what comes up in the in the fall. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see what what work comes out of you, and also your directing as well. Like you know, going away from visual effects and getting more into directing. I think given your background with visual effects, and then you couple that with your appreciation. And, and know-how of filmmaking process, especially with what we touched on with uh, filmanthropy.com, I do think you probably would be a great director, realistically. I, I will see. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> exactly. I could make just a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I could take all of the tropes and all of the cliches and jam right. it into one movie and people will just go, ugh, what is this? Or they may love but it. But hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. Or they may love it. Yes. It. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Todd. Yeah, no problem. Thank you uh, again for for having me and um, hit me up on the next round. Well, that's the end of episode 13 of the Film Revere podcast. Be sure to show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again from all of us here at Film Revered. Have a great week.